Hi everyone, this is Victoria and happy April and happy Earth Month. Today's topic is very suiting for that. Brooke, the oldest sister, has interviewed two different outdoor school teachers. The first one is Misha, who currently runs an outdoor school preschool in the rolling Palouse Hills of Western Idaho. The second interviewee is Darcy, who was the first to open an all-outdoor school program in Brooks area, and she was also the teacher to Brooks girls. There are some noises from kids in the second interview, so we apologize for that. Brooke has been a huge fan of outdoor school for her kids, and she now runs an outdoor school program for elementary age children. It's been a big passion of hers through the years, so she's loved discussing learning through nature and play, and she's so excited to share this with you all. All right, here we go. So um, I'm excited to do this this episode about outdoor schools and forest schools and nature, nature education, basically. And so I wanted to interview you and Darcy and get what you love about it and also what the benefits are that you see for children and that you also know of, maybe because of reading and research and stuff. The benefits that come from doing this sort of education for children that's all outside. So maybe what you could do is just start out by explaining what you do in the program that you do here in Moscow, Idaho. It is an all outdoor school for kids that are four or five, six or seven years old. And right now we're doing three days a week, mostly mornings, so 8.30 to 12.30. And we have between 10 and 12 kids each day. And they come dressed for whatever the weather is doing that day. So today (laughs) they would come in their rain suits with a layer underneath. Mm-hmm. And then as it clears, if it does, they would take that layer off and keep on going with the day. Basically, we watch the seasons change in the same space at the nature center. We see the ponds fill up and freeze and defrost and rise and then dry up again. Sometimes we hear the little chirps of the red-winged blackbird chicks when they hatch and see them kind of hopping in between the cattails uh, by the yurt zebo where we spend a lot of time playing at the pond and exploring. What's the yurt zebo for listeners? It used to be a yurt. And when Darcy stepped down from the director position, she took the yurt with her but left the base of it, which... The floor has a beautiful mural that she painted on it of all different landscapes of the world and animals and seasons. And so she left the base and then her and her husband built a gazebo over the base. Um, And so hence the name Yurt Zebo, half Yurt. I, I really love the mural that she did. It's a swirl of all four seasons, right? And a lot of the Palouse insects and animals are featured on that mural so kids can walk on it and look at it and it's beautiful colors and yeah she did a wonderful job with that it's a nice gathering spot too I know that other families come and visit and at school sometimes when the kids go in there they'll play a game like all right everybody find the rabbit and everybody will just like 
run to the rabbit or whatever the animal is. And it's just really good practice reading too, because all of the animals are identified. Mm. Yeah. So it's an interactive art piece, basically. So what, it, what is the philosophy of Palouse Roots, um, your outdoor nature school versus, you know, a traditional preschool and kindergarten, first grade? There's a lot of value in a person, a child, being able to use their imagination and have some things set up, but have them be able to basically take initiative to come up with ideas of of what to do with their time instead of um, having everything scheduled out and planned for them by adults right Uh, so it's just it's more child-led like we have certain things set out that might inspire them like they have toolboxes and we might have a project that's ongoing but there's not a step-by-step project necessarily happening and so it challenges them to think more for themselves and to use what's around them, whether they feel like going on a walk with a few friends nearby because we'll let them go as far as we can see them, or working at the mud kitchen. They lead their own play, and from that comes a lot of social learning, which is one of the really parts I see kids grow when they're at Palouse Roots is just communicating with each other. Um, learning how to be around different kids with different personalities, um, how to take turns <laughs> or listening, <laughs> sitting still and listening. We, we only do that a little bit, but when we do it, it is intentional. And you know, we know that those are skills that they're going to need to function in, um, in the indoor classroom setting. Yeah. I went to help with you a couple times. There are a few things that you did that I thought were really neat for the kids. They were just, to me, like little ants, like running around, busy the entire time. Everyone was busy in their own experience. And then they'd bump up against each other and sometimes they'd play together and sometimes they play on their own. And um, one, one, one really favorite memory that I have is... There was a stump and then a big board. And so it's like a teeter-totter just made out of two pieces of wood. But um, two boys in particular were playing together and they just were having the best time. It was hilarious. One boy was all curled up sort of on his knees on one end of the teeter-totter. And then the other boy would walk off of his end and let his friend fall down on the other end. And then that boy would start laughing his head off. And then he'd do it again and he'd do it again. And then the other, the boy that was walking was like, let me know if you want me to stop. And uh, the other little boy goes, I don't ever want you to stop. He's just reckless abandoned happiness. And then I also really loved all these sparkles in a jar and then watch those pieces of sparkle fall down. And it's this moment of total quiet and mindfulness and just being still and where they are. Oh, there was another time when you taught them like, okay, at the beginning of the day, we're going to talk about how to say no to your friend if that's something you really don't want to do and using your hand motion to say no and using your voice and a no, please stop. 
and I don't want to do that. And these sort of emotional intelligence pieces and not having a, a set agenda is um, something that maybe kids aren't getting a lot these days, do you think? Don't have very much familiarity with um, with traditional preschools or classrooms, so I can't speak too much to that. What I have noticed in our setting is that because we have flexibility, when something comes up, we can pretty much always stop and handle that right then. So if an issue comes up where somebody is not respecting somebody else's body or not listening to them when they say they want to stop playing, we can stop and have that group discussion. You know, how many times does somebody have to say stop before you stop? You know, Mm -hmm. okay, here's what you do. If somebody does something that you don't want them to do, be very, very clear so that they know for sure say it loud, say it clear, and hit your hand with your other hand. Say, stop. And if they don't listen, say their name and say, stop. Do that. Mm -hmm. Ever do anything back to them. And if they don't stop, come and get a teacher. And, you know, we're able to pause and have that conversation. And then, you know, 10 minutes later, I hear somebody go, stop. I'm like, yes, that kiddo would poked the other one back and then the other one would have taken his hat and then the other one would have taken his stick and thrown it in the pond and then there they would have been on the ground <laughs> the hitting of the hand is a little pause that a kiddo gets before they react so yeah like that kind of lesson is going to mm-hmm. for them with boundaries for the rest of their lives and we get to keep reinforcing it because we have all of this space literally and figuratively in our day to adapt as we go and because we have two teachers with up to 12 children we can get to know every child very well and um, work with whatever is going on with them in particular and stop and help them as we need Mm -hmm. there was one instance where you literally stopped the entire group there was one girl that was upset and you said hold on wait a second everyone come over here we have a friend who's upset let's figure out what we can do to help her feel better. You saw her doing that. And instead of being like, oh, okay, she'll get over it. She'll, you know, (laughs) however, we usually can deal with all these different emotions of children. I thought it was interesting because you said, hey, wait a second, you guys, one of our friends is upset. Let's all come together. Come on, everyone. And we'll talk about it and figure out a solution to help her feel happy again. And all the kids came over to immediately and you guys had this conversation and I didn't I don't know what was part of it but it didn't last that long until she was fine and then everyone went back to their place so can you explain a little bit about what what happened in that instance a lot of times when somebody's feelings get hurt or somebody somebody physically gets hurt um Mm -hmm. telling a child to apologize um or something along those lines, we'll just say, oh, hey, can you check on your friend? I noticed that she's um, walking away and she looks like she's really hurt. Can you go check on her? And that's where I found a lot of the kids will take that uh, just as a nice suggestion and not as like there's some guilt implied at them. Um, Mm -hmm. We say that a lot. Oh, yeah, I, I hear you. I know it, it was an accident, but she still looks kind of hurt. 
let's go check on her. All right, you guys, let's go check on our friend. And then everybody will go over and be like, hey, are you okay? And just having that acknowledgement of their personal pain a lot of times is enough to get through it and like move on with the day. Yeah. It's a, it's an experience that I saw when I was in Norway, I was on a ferry ship and I was going over to Denmark or something. And there were a bunch of um, kids and families on that boat. And there was one boy who got really upset. He was crying and it, it was the first time I had ever seen it in my life. I, everyone came around, all the adults that were around and all the children came around and they just stayed with this boy until he felt better. It's such a different way of responding to a child's pain. Like we're all here with you and we'll just, we'll, we'll wait as long as it takes. And, you know, we'll acknowledge you what you're going through and the hard thing that you're going through and we'll offer whatever help we can. And it wasn't like everyone was like hugging him. They were just around and letting him know that he wasn't by himself. And that's a really powerful thing, I think, for a kid to not feel alone. Yeah, it, it feels the same way to me. And um, it's especially moving when you see them start doing it on your own, on their own, especially a little yeah. girl going and checking on another little four-year-old girl, looking right in her eyes and saying, are you okay? <laughs> mm-hmm. <clears throat> rather than oh don't look at that person they're being really emotional give them their space it's a very different way of uh of um dealing with a child's emotions yeah our mm. children that do need space <laughs> but yeah they'll talk about that and let that child kind of like very intentionally have space like i know that you're really mad and when you're ready to talk about it i'm here mm-hmm is there some that you don't want all the kids to come around them because they might still be working on bringing in their physical lashing out behavior when they're mad? Yeah. Yeah. It might be dangerous for the other kids, right? Yeah. So what do you see in children as they are um, coming to police roots? Like, what are they getting from it? I know my daughter went to police roots for a couple of years and I was just really impressed. I was impressed with how she gained confidence in herself, in her communication, in her ability to monitor just the basic needs of taking off and on her jacket and doing up her jacket and, oh, I'm hot. So I'll take off a layer. Oh, I'm cold. So I'll put on a layer. She was so comfortable with being outside And I loved that. I loved that she could just play for hours outside and she could just make up these games and these things with just sticks and leaves and whatever she had became a game. And I have seen documentaries of this is one of the big benefits of um, of outdoor schools, children's um, imaginary play and being able to play with, with anything, right? I mean, it's not like a stick isn't something. It is something, but parents often feel like they have to buy their children things. And it's neat to see when children can play with just a stick. Uh, Yeah, everything that you said, I feel is 
pretty spot on. Um, there's a resiliency that comes from being outside in all seasons and working with what what you have around you. They're using a different part of their brain when they're coming up with this kind of imaginary play together with just natural objects um, than in other scenarios. Yeah, they're, they're, for instance, their eyesight is different. When kids are inside, they're seeing a lot of things that are close up. When you're outside, your eyesight for far away things actually is honed in, right? Because you're watching the bird going by or the clouds going by or the edge of the tree as it's moving in the wind. There are a lot of things that, yeah, that their brains are are using things differently. What's interesting to me is that kids don't have as many um, behavioral issues when they're outside. Why do you think that is? Yeah, um, <laughs> there. I mean, there's so much more literal space that they can separate and have their own space and there's not a lot of shared objects mm-hmm. and there's just more adaptability for us to be able to address different situations and they don't have to be still a lot of the time we just have a couple times during our day where you know we ask them to be still and so some children when they're working through something they will be able to handle their emotions in the situation better if they're moving a little bit or a lot. Some kids move while they talk and that helps them just work through whatever they're thinking. And if they're trying to sit still and do that, they might not be able to. I know we have had some children with sensory sensitivity and ADHD that just thrive in our space and we don't have a lot of things. So when I bring out a book, you know, the child that is learning to read and is ready to do that will just pick up that book and start reading it. And then along comes a little crew of other kids that don't know how to read that are listening to her. You know, that's the kid that doesn't thrive in a more traditional setting, but put her in this kind of scenario with so much ability to move around and she'll come and read a whole book to a group of kids just on her own. Yeah. I, in, in our program, nature explorers, I had one mom who she came and said, how did my son do first day? I said, what a nice kid. Oh my gosh. You have such a nice boy. And she said, Oh, that is just really nice to hear. She goes that he doesn't show that side very often. In fact, he is on the spectrum but what's interesting, she said, is that it doesn't exhibit as much outside. <laughs> that wow, that's really interesting. I mean, it is often the boys who are just like, "Can I go way over there?" And I'm like, "Yes, as long as I can see you." And it's just they their eyes get so big, like the freedom that they can experience with the space of being outside is, I think, very freeing for kids. There's a calming aspect to being outside too. The average kiddo that comes to Palouse Roots, what I've seen growth-wise, you know, you talked about confidence with your daughter, definitely true. And I've just seen, like, there's so many different ways to play at outdoor school and different things that they could come up with that kids, like, come into their own, you know, many different things they can work on. So, like, if there's a kiddo that wants to be launched off of the teeter-totter, 
then or launch something off then yay that kid can be like all rambunctious and be doing that there's another kid that doesn't like going that fast but he wants to be involved he can do the countdown you know he can count down and pretend to be the radio person at nasa and count down to one the rambunctious one can be blasted off by the one on the other side Right. And meanwhile, there's a little kid who just doesn't want to be part of that at all. So she's down the pond looking at the bugs that are in the pond in her own space, in her quiet space. And everything can be possible there, right? Yeah. Kids leave in their own being. Like, it's okay to be really into this and not so much into that. Like, everybody has their own speed and it's all good, you know, as long as they're as long as I'm happy and moving forward and feeling connected. So what our goals are for them to be confident and have learned kindness towards themselves and to others. Those are the things that we hope for, for them. Mm. Wow. That's really simple and really wonderful. I love that. Thanks, Misha. Thanks so much for talking about this. I love, um, I've loved just sitting in on your class and helping um, kids paint watercolor on the bridge and all um, watch them play around the pond and swing four kids on the swing that you made there and see them hammering and nailing things. It's just, it is so cool. It's such a cool space. It makes me smile every time I go up there, even when kids aren't there, but especially when kids are there in their rainproof um, outfits and just like little colorful dots going moving all around it's just darling high five now i'd like to introduce darcy who was the original founder of the police roots program you set up this really neat outdoor school for preschoolers and for kindergartners. So yeah, can you tell us sort of how you, how you came up with the idea, why you did it, and some of the philosophy behind it that you're just passionate about? Yeah, so there's the personal aspect as to why I started it, which was that I had worked with children in many different aspects and um, always felt like it was my, my thing, the thing that I loved. Um, that was instinctual to me and so I knew that I wanted to work with kids but I always often felt like when I worked with kids in the standard system that I found myself limited um, in what I wanted to do and didn't fully understand that just knew that it it concerned me to think about going into it as a career that's interesting I felt the same way really yeah. mm -hmm. Which is why I, didn't, I did not go to school for education, um, because I didn't want to spend four years um, learning about something that I wasn't sure I could fully embrace. So mm. I didn't go to school for education. So you didn't go to school for this, so where did you get this um, understanding and philosophy that you use? So I did a training program through, it's called Cedar Song, or it was called Cedar Song when I did it, and now it's called the... American Forest Kindergarten Association. Mm. So that's where I got a lot of it, but I think a lot of it is innate, pro probably from my mom. The way she taught us uh, was very much along this, these lines of 
freedom and following our lead. I was homeschooled. Yeah. So I think a lot of it was from my upbringing. Um, mm. But then this training and, you know, and other mentors that I've had. It's interesting because it, it looks often like the teacher isn't doing a whole lot. But observation is so important. And like watching what a child is interested in and then enhancing that for them and giving them more to do in that area and maybe like there's this idea of like inquiry based teaching so not necessarily like giving them a bunch of facts or answers but just helping them be curious about whatever they're doing yeah mm -hmm. um, you don't necessarily have to learn facts about nature although I think that does help and mm -hmm. especially for the older kids mm -hmm. identifying like putting words to yeah. ideas and yeah, then concepts sure. and but yeah really interesting and why is why do you think that is like do you know scientifically why it's so beneficial for children I've heard I've heard of studies where um, even 10 minutes a day outside under a green canopy increases mental well-being by a lot like it is substantial I don't know the reason but my gut tells me it's because that's what we're, where we come from like it's just mm. only in the last thousand years that we've been away from that we're constantly away from it and we all are biologically meant to be outside <laughs> mm -hmm. and we're all stuck inside mm -hmm. and so I, my assumption is that it's that when we get out there and we don't always want to right it's like oh, I just rather be in the comfort of my home mm -hmm. but once we get out there that we're we have this feeling of being where we're meant to be um well the book there's no such thing as bad weather that you introduced me to um the book but the concept I had learned from Norway because that oh, yeah, is like yeah, yeah. that's very much part of their culture right. there's no such thing as bad weather only bad clothing right. and so she states a lot of the scientific evidence yeah. of why outdoor education is so so powerful I didn't I didn't uh, realize it that I was such an outdoorsy looking person until I don't know I don't know why my friend said this but she goes Brooke I've got to send you this article it's all about these Danish kids in this outdoor school and like it's crazy like the kids are hanging up in really tall trees and have you ever heard of this idea and I'm like oh actually my daughter goes to an outdoor preschool <laughs> and I went and watched the video and it was I mean even for me it was extreme the kids were really high in this tree and it was swaying and you know the the, the guy who was videotaping it and doing this documentary is like is that okay like he's like I've seen that the teacher's like oh yeah they're fine they're fine yeah. I think if if you think about it when I was a kid and definitely when my parents were kids and when my grandparents were kids they did a lot of risky things yeah and I think nowadays kids are like we're very concerned about them doing scary things mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and for good reason like we, we want them to be safe but and there were a lot of kids that got hurt but <clears throat> but going but back to it is like actually they didn't get hurt isn't that amazing I think of Eileen <clears throat> with the knife and it's like she mm -hmm. might get cut like it's there's mm -hmm. a really good possibility mm -hmm. that she might get a cut on her finger but is that so bad like, mm -hmm. is that really something we want to avoid? Because if she cuts herself, then she'll learn how to not cut herself mm -hmm. the next time. Yeah, and assuming it's, it's a little nick. Yeah, it's, yeah. And then it's, yeah. And <clears throat> the way that you taught her, her knife was, she was sitting always. 
her knife was never close to her fingers, right? right? So it's not like saying, oh, we'll just go let the kids play in the streets. Right. No, we're going to teach them to be on the sidewalk right. where it is safe. And we're going to also teach them how to cross the street safely. Right. Um, yeah, so that's that's a distinction I think that's really important. I mean, it's not just free for all, like, yeah, take sticks and do whatever you want. I think right? Erin Kenny is the woman who started Cedar Song. And, uh, she has since passed away, but she started this movement in the U.S. for mm -hmm. forest kindergartens. And she had this distinction between risk and hazard. That a hazard is something you protect a child from. So like lightning mm -hmm. or, you know, falling into deep water when they can't swim. Those are hazards that we protect children from. But a risk is something that we help a child manage. So oh. we, we teach them to manage risks and avoid hazards. Um, and it's helpful Excellent. to me to make that distinction that it's not just all things dangerous, mm -hmm. um, but that there's levels there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, that's a really great distinction. Because there's a risk factor, we have to have fewer children mm -hmm. because we need to have an eye on them at all times, which means that it costs more. And I feel like it's such a benefit to families that don't have the means to send their kids to these kinds of programs. Mm -hmm. And if we can figure out a way to make these kinds of programs accessible to everyone. Yeah. Because I think there are families, there are kids coming from rough backgrounds that would benefit from this more yeah. than maybe anyone, yeah. and they can't access it because it's expensive. Um, one of the really, really powerful stories that I've been thinking about lately is this, um, these two boys came, and they're from a pretty rough family. When they came, um, they said the first day, for some reason, that their dad had thrown their dog across the room and broken its leg. And, um, and he happened to have a black eye. We don't know why, but, you know, it's just like rough, rough situation. And um, they weren't sure about this place that their mom had brought them. And they were thinking they were too cool to even wear boots. And now those boys, they ask their mom almost every day, when can we go to the nature center? When can we go to nature explorers? Because they've been given a lot of freedom that they haven't experienced otherwise. And I mean, the first day, they one of the boys went out on the ice before I, you know, turned around once, and you know he just didn't know his boundaries right. yet. And then I've just been teaching them like, no, I'm going to trust you to really like, yeah. if you're going to go up on that branch, you better be sure that it's going to hold you, or else it's going to break, and you're going to fall. But man, these boys are so resilient and. They're so eager to learn. They just want to soak it up. So they taught themselves, the six-year-old taught himself how to bike. And he was just interested, so I facilitated him learning how to bike. And I think it, it is a, a neat analogy. Like, biking is dangerous inherently. But we want our kids to know how to do it because it's so thrilling. Right. And, and it's such a confidence builder. So you teach yeah. them how to fall off the bike, how to keep their leg long enough so even at a high bike they can fall over and not fall onto their knee. And, and so he learned how to fall. He fell hundreds of times. In three days he taught himself how to bike. Mm -hmm. And now the smile on his face yeah. is just like, he's so proud of himself, right? Yeah. That is something to be proud of, yeah. right? He didn't know how to do it before. But we have this tendency for, especially boys in that 
in that preschool age to love to play with sticks and guns. Yeah. Even in the older group. Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting. It's interesting. My stick is bigger than your stick. And yeah, and like shooting each other. Yeah. Right? And our, I think our instincts as adults are to put a stop to that because we've, we know the stories, we know the news, and we don't want, you know, we're, we're sort of scared mm. of what does that mean for their psyche? They're shooting each other. Mm -hmm. And we had this experience with these young boys, and, and they were doing it, and... Mm -hmm. You know, I think there are circumstances where maybe it's innocent and other circumstances where a child might feel threatened. And we had this mm. beautiful experience with these four-year-old boys mm. where I could see, I observed that one of them felt uncomfortable mm -hmm. and I suggested that he let his friends know. Mm. And he said, I don't like when you point the gun at me. And that put a stop to it. And they stopped, you mm. know, they started pointing the gun towards the bushes and pretending something else. Wow. Okay, well, thanks, Darcy, right. thanks for this for really fun afternoon thanks chatting. Thanks, Eileen, for coming over. Yeah. Can we stay longer? Thanks for listening. High, High five, five till, till next time. time.